as things opened up, oh my gosh, the sense of like, I am so excited, but I don't really want to leave. I don't want to go. I want to go. Uh, and then when we'd go see friends, it'd be like the first hour was... I didn't have social skills. I didn't have the ability to carry on a conversation. I, I wanted to be there. I didn't want to be there. It was awkward, crazy, and in some ways exhausting. As much as I wanted to be out and play and engage, I also just wanted to be in my cave where I felt a certain degree of loneliness, but also control and comfort. Friends, welcome back to the Wild at Heart podcast here in the week of September 13th. Now, last week, <laughs> I, um, I laid out a lot. I know that. I attempted to try and bring together several movements that are going on in the world and in the human heart and in the heavenly realms to prepare our hearts to be a little bit more heads up to how to treat our well-being and our recovery seriously as we come out of summer, knowing that summer might not have been all that we wished it could be. So now here's what we're going to do. I know I laid out a lot, friends. <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to back up and we're going to go through the three kind of main points that I was trying to offer you that first, we need to take a longer term view of our recovery. Second, that there is a need to guard our hearts against desolation. And then third, uh, what will be the fourth installment, um, how we guard our Eden hearts in, in a time like this. So what we're going to do is back up now, and we're going to take each of those one at a time. And what you heard at the beginning of the show today was my dear friend, Dan Allender, riffing on what it was like to come out of the pandemic and the quarantines in 2020, 2021 spring into summer. And the reason why is this, this conversation all began in my pickup, driving back from fishing with Dan this summer. And we were and we're both in the care business, and we were riffing on how do we help people recover. So, Dan, how was it for you and Becky personally this summer to come out of the madness of the spring and, and into something that was an attempt at recovery? Well, let's just use one simple word. Crazy. Look, <laughs> November, December of 2020, I think both of us, Becky and I, came to a point of going, we're eating too much. We're drinking too much. We're watching too much silliness on TV. And the reality is we made some changes that were really good for us, January, February, March. And it wasn't like we felt like we had things in hand, but we were doing better. And then as things opened up, Oh my gosh, the sense of like, I am so excited, but I don't really want to leave. I don't want to go. I want to go. Uh, and then when we'd go see friends, uh, it'd be like the first hour was, like, I didn't have social skills. I didn't have the ability to carry on a conversation. I, I wanted to be there. I didn't want to be there. It was awkward, crazy. 
and in some ways exhausting as much as I wanted to be out and play and engage. I also just wanted to be in my cave where I felt a certain degree of loneliness, but also control and comfort. So does that does that give you a sense? Crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, it has been. And when you came to see us in Colorado, that was the first time you'd traveled. In like like 25 years, it felt like. <laughs> and going, look, I've spent millions of miles traveling and I am a seasoned traveler and I was like, how, how do you do this? Uh, like, do, do I have to show my ID when I go through? Look, uh, even going through the airport felt traumatizing and as much joy as we had being with you all, it was getting there that was insane and getting back that was maybe a little less. Maybe I'm getting a little bit more acclimated. But for the most part, even with having social contacts in our neighborhood, there's still that ambivalence of, I am so thrilled. And yet, I don't know what to do at times with all that I feel in the midst of this good but strange change. Yeah. Yeah, good but strange. Was summer what you hoped it would be, kind of looking back on summer now? Did it do it? Did it work? No. No. Oh, oh good. Look, I had some really lovely times. I mean, truly, the time with you and Stacy was the highlight of our summer. But it was only for less than a week. And But we anticipated that so deeply. And then the loss afterwards was pretty deep. And we had some other lovely, lovely times with family and friends and other fishing. But I think I put so much hope into a kind of restoration that actually, even if I know better, I I actually know better, but I don't know better because my body, my heart almost seem to be in something of a war with what I know and my mind. Mm. So no, I I would say I'd like to, I'd like to have a do over. Um, Let's start June again and let's see how it plays out. But obviously uh, it's September. Yeah. I had a, I was chatting with a dear friend uh, just yesterday and He and his family, his wife, have had a very rough year, not just pandemic and crazy and all that, but but then some things with their children and and they got a vacation. They got away. They got three weeks away into a beautiful place. But here's how he described it. He said, as they reached the end of their three weeks, his wife said, I feel like I am finally out of the red and I am just back at the ability to enjoy the vacation. Can we start now? It, and it's what you're saying. It's like, okay, we needed we needed summer to just try and get some orientation. Now could we like have September, October, November? And the world needs a sabbatical. Yes, deeply. And the world isn't going to get one. No. And so what you and I were riffing on as we were driving back one day from fishing was, How do we look at our own recovery? How do we prepare ourselves to be wise about this? And I'll be honest, as summer began to draw to a close, I started to feel a sense of panic and despair. And I was prepared for all this. I was not blindsided by it. We've been talking about this for months, but nonetheless right? Nonetheless. So 
the first thing that you and I began to sort of riff on and unpack is is what I really want to devote today's conversation to, and that is we need to take a longer-term view of our recovery. And honestly, Dan, I feel like <laughs> I feel like I'm trying to help people to a basic level of appreciation. You are in recovery. Yes. Help me there. Well, well, one category that's been helpful for the people I'm around and for myself uh, is I have suffered a number of accidents and had soft tissue injury that has taken sometimes years to address. Uh, after a significant accident, you, you, often you feel sore and you struggle, but you're pretty much fine. A lot of times, soft tissue injury doesn't show up for months upon months. And we have gone through a trauma. <laughs> we have gone through injury at so many levels, social, political, racial, financial. I mean, you can just keep going on and to say, did you think you can go through a major accident? I'm so glad you're alive and walking. Yes, we have much to celebrate, but your body is going to suffer. And often way after the injury uh, that occurred. So if we can step back and say, what's the nature of the injury? Well, trauma always has these three components. Fragmentation, that sense of our, our worlds really do crumble and our brains, like just the fog of trying to remember something as simple as a word at times, it's really hard. Um, so fragmentation, numbing, you, you just sort of like... You go low, you go down, you don't want to deal with what's happening inside of you. And then in the midst of that fragmentation, that numbing, we isolate. And so many of us have been quarantined, but in the sense of in our caves, we've been isolated. So now we're beginning, as we come out, we're beginning to feel the fragmentation more. We're beginning to feel the numbness. And yet... One of the ways we often handle it is like indulgence, like eat more, drink more, spend more time with friends, try and recover by running harder, which only increases, oh my gosh, only increases the sense of fragmentation, numbing, and isolation. So often the very thing we think will work actually increases the damage itself. Mm. Wow. Soft tissue damage of the soul. That's, mm -hmm. that's an intriguing thought. What is the soft tissue damage of the soul? What is the long-term implication of going through what we've just gone through and, and are still in, in so many ways? I mean, Australia, you know, in the middle of summer, had to, they, Sydney locked back down again. So, right, dear friends, dear ones, your soul is hammered, whether you are aware of it or not. Certainly, you're aware of the fragmentation. And I, I watched it happening during 2020. I was very aware of, you know, the mental dissociation, the loss of a sense of time, you know, couldn't remember things. That, But I thought, Dan, that I would bounce back fairly quickly. I'm a pretty resilient guy. I've been through a lot of stuff and practice the spiritual practices that bring life and joy and 
connection with God. And, and so I thought I'd bounce back. I really did. Uh, can I break in? You are the most resilient human being I've ever known. <laughs> okay. So to say you're somewhat resilient, I, I just, I, I'm sorry. Just, I just have to say, uh, I'm pretty resilient too. But yes, you are. You stretch beyond. So the fact that you're putting words to that, I just, it, can I just add, it's really important to underscore. It's real. And even into the summer, even now, into the fall, the mental fragmentation is actually worse than it was in the spring of this year. And why? Like what I'm I'm stumbling. I literally pick up my phone this morning to text you, and I forget in those three seconds of lifting the phone to my attention to I forget who I was going to text. Well, if we can come back to this notion of soft tissue, the the reality is that in the middle of the uh, of the tragedy and the trauma, we draw resources from very deep parts. That when there is a bit of a break, it's like most of us who work very hard. You know, Christmas has generally been the period of time as an academic where I'm slightly off, and when I get off, I get sick. And we've got enough data about the nature of trauma, sort of increasing our stress biochemicals, particularly cortisol. We ramp up, we ramp up, we survive, we fight, we move. But the moment there's a break, we think, oh, we'll be able to restore. But it's our body that basically, if I can anthropomorphize it, it's going to, it's like, hey, pal, thanks a lot. Uh, thanks for the tending and the care that you've offered. I'm not well with you. And our body is more susceptible to immunological issues, to illness. Our bodies begin to crumble after having this allostatic run of just trying to function for a long season. If we don't tend to our body, our heart, our mind, our soul and spirit, it's going to bite us. And I've been bit a whole lot over the summer in ways that even if I can teach it and talk about it, I still felt somewhat surprised that I was going through that process. Yeah. Yeah. So as you and I began to unpack this, first off, just personally, how are you doing? How am I doing? What's going on? And and how do we take our recovery seriously? Because I'm very concerned that in, in this state of vulnerability, Everybody thought summer was going to do it. And we're coming into the shock and the disappointment that summer didn't do it like it's done in years past. It was a reasonable expectation. In 2014, summer did it. You know, in 2008, summer, in, in 1997, summer worked. And so it wasn't an unreasonable expectation, I think, that all of us rushed out into summer and, you know, fishing in the beach and picnics and family and sitting on the deck and all, you know, thinking this will work. I will be better. Now we're coming into fall, kids going back to school, everybody's back at work, work's asking the same level of, you know, performance from us. What does a longer term view of recovery look like? What does that mean? How, how would we begin to adjust our expectations and make a plan with a longer term view? Well, if we go back to the category of, of, of soft tissue, um, it, it, you can't muscle through soft tissue injury. 
you're going to have to stop and in many ways seek treatment you know, some form of addressing the injury. So I think one of the things we both said is we we need to slow down, but everything around us is speeding back up. And already, uh, at least as I move into the fall, I can feel the craziness around me uh, is ramping up even more than toward the end of the summer. And as a result, it's so counterintuitive. It's so revolutionary to say, I still need help. Um, I guess mm. I can ramp back up, but I'm going to pay a price probably in November, December that will be catastrophic if I don't take more time. So right there, as simple maybe to many people like, oh man, you have really simplified this. I got to take time to begin to allow certain things to rise within me. Heartache, disappointment, grief, things that feel like, oh no, that's going to that's going to be even harder. So the counterintuitive, there is so much that I have to face, honestly, courageously, about the losses of the last, what it feels like, 10 years. Mm. But the mm. reality is, we are not, I'm not good at lament. I'm mm. not good at grief. And this is a season where grief must be tended to, honored and tended to at new levels, or we're simply setting ourselves up for an even greater fall. We don't like that. We don't like that answer. <laughs> Nobody likes that answer. Can I just tell you, I don't like that answer. When we were chatting back in the truck as we were driving down this dirt road, you were describing that the rush, the summer rush, you couldn't get a VRBO anywhere in the world. You couldn't get a campground. The national parks were overwhelmed. On and on it goes, right? Like I was, I was hiking at remote trailheads in the Rockies and you couldn't get a parking spot. I mean, mm. the world rushed out to get summer and freedom and joy and happiness. And we got concerts and ball games and all that back. And there was a, there was a famished craving to our binging. And I, I mean, same thing here, right? Overeating, over drinking, you know, just trying to binge on joy because the, the soul is famished for it. But you were saying that that is an attempt to bypass grief. That's an attempt to, to rush to the joy that we need. But, but frankly, what we're doing is we're just trying to skip over grief. Yeah. And the promise and the blessing, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Uh, I had to, at many points, and thankfully Becky was the one who kept bringing this back, why won't you let me comfort you? Uh, she was starting to just, I mean, walk by me, and she began to massage the back of my neck, and I like flinched. And she's like, why won't you just let me tend to you. I can see you are stressed. And part of it is, I don't want a taste of what I think will be taken away again. Mm. 
I don't want to have to suffer something so pleasurable like true comfort when I feel like I'm just taking a brief break before I get sent back to the front lines for more suffering than I can bear. I'm on R&R. I'm going to eat and drink until I don't really think about where I've come from or where I'm going back to. And that's that's heartbreaking, mm. my lack of trust mm. that shows itself in my lack of rest yeah. or in my lack of grief that could actually bring a context of the Spirit's comfort and my wife's comfort. Yeah. Yeah. I I had a fascinating thing happen to me actually at the beginning of the year that you helped me connect the dots to when you were talking about grief. Everyone was so excited that 2021 was here. And and the you know deal was, aren't we glad we can put all that behind us, right? I know, I know, I know, but it's what people were thinking. And you know, we got into 2021 and found out it was a whole lot like 2020. But there was this enthusiasm and excitement and new year and fresh start. And I felt weird that I couldn't join in the excitement. I I wasn't dreaming about anything at all. And what Jesus showed me was my heart was still stuck in the sorrow and the losses. And And so here's what Jesus told me to do. He said, I want you to get out your journal and name the losses. Name the losses, large and small. And, and there were very simple things and there were very big things and, and grieve them. And this is early January. And it was only after I did that, that I was then able to just sort of turn my gaze, turn my heart into a new year. So that's, that's something of what you're describing right now is not to binge and think that the binging is going to take the place of what grief does for us. It, there, there's a process that we have to go through. And then the second thing you named, and it kind of goes with it, you were describing re-entering, quote, normal life with restraint, w- with a sense of it's not normal. We're not just bouncing back. So re-enter all this openness, movies and restaurants and gatherings and people and all that with some sense of restraint. Can you say why? Can you unpack that a little? Well, I remember years ago uh, eating with a good friend and I consumed the plate that I had been given rather voraciously and somewhat quickly. And he said, do you ever leave anything on your plate? And I, you know, I grew up in the era of the typical clean plater because there were starving children somewhere in the world. I never made sense to, that how my eating my plate would have anything to do. Like, were you going to ship the other food I don't eat away? No, no, nonetheless. Um, so when he asked that question, it was like, no. Like, if it's on a plate, I eat it. And the, the idea that, well, wait a minute, tend to your body. Are you actually full? Do you you really need to eat the rest? So I think restraint is in many ways a way of tending to our heart, our mind, our body to say, do you really need what you think you need? And again, I'm all for good food. But if I eat voraciously, I'm actually not tasting. 
I'm not enjoying, I'm not celebrating. And so to step back and say, look, there's an intersection between grief, nothing will fill you, but also a kind of honor to the things that we do get to do, that we're not just shoving events, experiences down our throat with the demand that it actually restore us versus give us a taste of what it is we were most meant for. So I think if we can hold that notion of don't eat everything quickly, and then second, maybe you'll find that you're more full than you thought for the moment. Now push the plate away. So restraint is knowing it can't fill, but maybe I'm actually more full and the moment then I can bear that we've been with friends where I, I cut the evening short because I, I really couldn't take much more. To be there in conversation and interaction would have required numbing. I would have almost internally had to isolate. Mm. And uh, it was an awkward moment when I just said, you know, it's been so pleasurable being with you all. And I think I've had enough. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to come back yeah. at another time. But I think I've had enough. And it was, again, strange and awkward. Like, people were like, are you okay? And the answer is, no, not terribly. But yeah, I'm okay. I'm, I've had joy being here. But if I try and stay another hour or more, I'm going to ruin it. Uh, yeah. I don't want to eat yeah. anymore. I can't do it. That was just the other night. Stacy and I were with some, some couples. It was very sweet. And we hit a wall. And that idea of diminished capacities, trauma has diminished our capacities. And so when we try and return to normal life, you can't run that marathon right now. Like our capacities physically, emotionally, spiritually are diminished. And the mental fragmentation is, you know, one example of it, but the exhaustion at the end of the day, you know, I, I come in the door, I got nothing. And I used to have something, but, you know, we're in this evening, it's delightful. It's, oh my goodness, it's still warm. And so we're out on the deck and I hit a wall. So did Stace. And we had to say, you know, this has been great. We need to go. We're just, we're spent. But there's something about, again, the world is in this massive denial that we are back to normal. We, we want that. We want that to be true so badly that there's this collective amnesia. There, there's this collective denial that, you know, work life is the same. You can, you can run at the same rate. You can produce at the same rate. Social life is the same. You can run at the same rate. You can do all the, and what you're saying is no, not really. Can we honor the limits, not only of our age, uh, our current world, can we honor in some sense that we do not have omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence? Uh, again, it's an obvious point. I'm not God. But there are ways in which my phone gives me a sense of omniscience. Uh, and I, I can zoom from one world to another, omnipresence. And that sense of I should be able to do it omnipotence. Come on, step back, bear, bear your own humanity. Mm. And in that, um, we're more dependent, way more dependent mm. than we've ever been mm. uh, culturally, 
societally, personally, familially, et cetera. So I think in some ways it's allowing the process of healing by giving up the self-righteousness of thinking you can make it, you can Mm. do it, you can get all that you need in order to be where you once were. Mm. I love this conversation. I really love it. I, I can feel the goodness of God in it if we will listen to his counsel. Because even just the idea of restraint, I didn't understand why Jesus put so many boundaries around my summer. Lord, can we do a big family vacation? No. Can we do a little vacation you know, as a group? No, not a good idea. You don't understand what you need. Well, can I take this trip? Can we go overseas and see our friends? No. Yeah, he, he kept putting hedges around the summer because I did not know that what I needed was restraint. That in my diminished capacities, the adventures I was seeking would not heal me. They would further deplete me. And he, he just kept bringing it in, very small things, reading on the deck, walking the dog. I mean, wonderful, healing, beautiful, enjoying the stars, but not the big adventures I kept trying to make happen. And I didn't fully understand that until we began unpacking this and my diminished capacities. I'm really not clear on what it is I need. I thought it was binging. I thought it was life back to normal. Just turn the throttle back up and let's go. Let's go get some joy. Let's have adventures. Let's travel. Let's do a big family thing. But all of that would have just completely wiped us out. I mean, I can't even do dinner with friends, you know? So I want to get to the third point that we were talking about in the truck. But before I do, I want to ask you a question that I have no idea how you're going to answer because it was was coming to me the, the other day just in my own personal recovery plan, when someone experiences what we would identify as a, as a more typical trauma, you know, the car accident and the loss of two children, you know, sexual violation by someone in control over you for a long period of time, you know, the, the loss of your platoon while on patrol and you are the lone survivor. Those dramatic things. Everybody can look at that and go, okay, that's trauma. I get it. How long to recover from someone who has passed through trauma? In in all your years as a therapist, what you're just sitting there with someone in the first session and you're thinking to yourself, what? Um, 18 months for very overt, dramatic trauma to engage it, metabolize, see its connection to other trauma, engage the issues that are there. You know, that's a long period. But frankly, more subtle trauma, more enduring daily trauma that you've normalized. In many ways, you just say, oh, that's just life. That's much longer. I know that sounds crazy or counterintuitive. But the bottom line is, until you name something as harmful Mm. consequence with injury, um, for many people, the subtle traumas take maybe a lifetime to admit. Mm. But 
it, it, in one sense, I'd rather work with a very overt, heartbreaking trauma than the slow wearing on, you know, our our bodies, our fascia, our brains, our processes, all that takes longer. And so what we're dealing with, what I think we're talking about is we've been in long-term, not subtle in certain ways, but in other ways, very subtle trauma that can easily be pushed by as, ah, we're, we're doing okay. How are you doing? Ah, it's, you know, okay. Um, underneath that is a wear and tear on our bodies and hearts that is even harder to address. So that trauma, um, I would say, uh, might take a year or two or more just to admit then we've got that long process of 18 months or more to truly address. And and see, you're, but you're putting that in a therapeutic setting where the person is coming in weekly, maybe twice a week to do the work of recovery. Yes. Whereas the person who's saying, well, I, you know, I, I'll, I'm back at work. My kids are back at school. You know, I'll, I'll do a little bit of what you're saying. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll restrain myself. I'll 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 allow some of the sorrow to come up. I mean, for that person, we're we're talking years. Oh what no, no, we're talking a lifetime because in that sense, like a boat will work if you've got barnacles on the bottom, but it ain't gonna row as it was intended to until you begin to take those suckers off. And so in some ways, we metabolize trauma uh, and we just sort of live with it versus engage with the promise of healing, but also the promise of disruption because healing is not something that easily comes. Sometimes the healing process feels worse than the disease, but it's not. It's so restorative and life-giving. So when we begin to name we've been harmed in our marriage, my marriage. Look, Becky and I have had to do more work. We're in our 45th year of marriage and there's no one on the earth I'm more fond of. We've got a good marriage, but we've had to do lots of work being in this restorative process together. So every component of your life has been affected by this. Again, when we say pandemic, it's it's more than a pandemic. It's the deep, deep, deep trauma of the earth crying out on so many levels. So with that in mind, um, are you taking time? Do you have a process of being able to reflect and talk? And do you intend, like, I, I don't know if I can say it strong, until you intend to deal with this damage, you can just sort of fluff it off. Uh, and it will, as I keep saying, it'll come and bite you. I love Jesus in these podcasts because I was hoping to address my optimist friends who who are convinced that the economy is going to be amazing. Business is up. This is this is a new era. We we are back. And the, you know, the human race is resilient. Here we go. And I, I wanted you to say something like, it's going to bite you in the butt. And you did. So thank you. And then fascinating that you mentioned the boat and the barnacles. I was actually reading about some of my summer reading was about whaling uh, in the 17 and 1800s. 
and these ships would come back. They would go three years sometimes out because they would they would leave you know the east coast uh, of New England and they would go all the way down around the the tip of South America and into the Pacific looking for whales. And they would often be gone from a year and a half to three years. They they would come back and the the ship under the waterline would be honeycombed, so eaten away, you know, by the forces of nature and 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 that sort of thing. And you didn't see it, but it was being eaten away at. Okay, now one more last beautiful thing, because I don't want we're describing to feel negative. We're, we're describing the way out, gang. We're describing that you can recover if you will take this seriously. And you said something very beautiful. You said, we actually need to recover the ability to anticipate things and to hope. Why? Let me just say, the the placebo effect, like it's part of all of our lives. We are, our body is built for hope. Like there, there are studies that when you take a pill, if the pill is something where you can actually see into it and see colored dots, your body responds with more change because the pill looks powerful. So the placebo effect is actually a way of describing the nature of hope. Wait, wait, is that why you and I, is that for fly fishermen, is that why like the really fluffy, colorful flies, the ones that you look at certain flies and you go, oh, that's it. Oh, it's going to do it. That's going to do it. That today is going to be incredible because of that really wonderful fly. Is that? Are, are, are we not crazy? But, but, but built into our body is hope. Built into our body is anticipation. So if we understand that... I mean, our God is so redemptive in the plan of bringing us back. But we need, as it says in Isaiah 30, it is through rest and repentance. But you would have none of it. Oh, it's a heartbreaking sentence. Rest and repentance. But you would have none of it. So for you to begin to own your own limits... That's a work of repentance. But now honoring the limit by saying, I would normally be with these friends for two or three hours. After an hour and a half, maybe two, it was enough. Honor the limit. And again, it opens up great conversations with one another. So when we anticipate, we are creating and joining. Uh, do you hear the two words? You're creating hope. You're creating hope, but you're also joining the hope God has for you. So we get to be in that sense co-creative with God to be able to anticipate. Like when we came out to fish, I'm looking at my flies. And by the way, the box that you gave me is all set. I meant to bring it so I could show you today. Uh, uh, it's all <laughs> set for some fishing I'll do this uh, fall. So. Um like just putting the flies in the box. Oh, it's just part of that anticipation of what's ahead. So allowing our hearts to be restored through hope, not hope it's all going to work out, but hope as a memory of the future. Hope as an ability to remember and anticipate through that 
what it means to be alive, to be full, to be free, to have reserves. I once had that. I will one day have that. Now I need to wait. Now I need to wait and anticipate, but not lose desire, not lose the anticipation of what it will be. Not indulge, but dream. That's such a good segue to next week's podcast because I want to talk about the dangers of disappointment at this point leading to disillusionment and and this uh, the way the enemy wants to to jump on that this fall. So we do need to protect our hearts and hope is one of the ways we protect our hearts. Good is coming. I have a table for you, God says. I have a table for you, but you can't pretend that you're not in recovery. And, and if you will take recovery seriously as best you can, and you know, the kids are in school, work is demanding stuff. I get it. Like our world is demanding things of us, but to the degrees that we can allow for, we are in recovery in actually a very dangerous time because the enemy would love to jump on our vulnerabilities. Let's take these things seriously. And the good news is this, that, oh, friends, summer could never have been enough. Summer doesn't do it. Our tanks are low. We need care. We need to take a a view of our recovery seriously. And I, I just want to give a quick shout out the paperback version of Get Your Life Back just came out this week. And that is a lifeline. It is such a life-giving book. And they're very, very simple things, just step by step by step, very applicable things in that book that will help you refill your tank and, and strengthen your soul. So, And it's cheaper now, much cheaper. So recovery is still on the way. That's the hope that just by changing perspective that we really want to offer. <laughs>